Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Good morning. It is Wednesday, August 19th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer, for us here at 24-7 Sports. Chris, we've got a new top 50 players in college football, and if this feels like deja vu, it's because we did one a few weeks ago. You and Charles Power made a pretty good, pretty good list a few weeks ago, and now we've had to kind of redo it, haven't we? Yeah, I had to th- basically throw half the list out. We lost 21 of our 50 kind of in the top 50. And given that we're still playing college football uh, this year, we still wanted to put out a list of 50 players to for people to follow. Because I always find lists like this really helpful when I'm fo- following other sports. And we wanted fans to be aware who the stars are going to be. They just look a little different this time around with only six conferences playing. So tell me about a few of the new guys who've cracked the top 50. And it's my understanding that like everyone's moved up and then from spots 30 to 50, it's all new guys. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't change the order for anybody in the top 30. So if you were, if you were behind, you kind of just moved up. For example, Jamar Chase is now the number two overall player in college football for us. He was the number four player. He leapt over Justin Fields and Panay Sewell uh, when their seasons were uh, ended early due to uh, COVID-19 concerns. But um, when you look at our new list, the first player on there is Tamorian Terry, uh, the wide receiver from Florida State. I think he's a really interesting player, not only for college football, but for NFL draft purposes. Um, he's averaged 23, 20.3 yards per catch throughout his career. He's a really long strider. He's six foot four, 210 pounds. And he's really put up mega production, especially as a deep ball specialist the last two years despite the fact that he's played alongside an offensive line that's been pretty terrible. So the opportunities for James Blackman to actually throw the ball deep have been pretty uh, few and far between the last couple of years. So Terry kind of being as productive as he has is almost a really a pretty big testament to how well he gets open. Um, he's not a burner, but he's a guy who gets past people with long strides. And I think if the offensive line is even marginally better, better this year, Terry has a chance to kind of join the upper echelon of top tier receivers in college football. He's a really special guy. So when we first did this list, we all had to name a a guy or two who we thought should have made it. And of course, now all those guys are on there. Wyatt Hubert, Kansas State defensive end, Sage Surratt, Wake Forest wide receiver, Chris Rump, linebacker from Duke, Eric Stokes at Georgia, Chaz Surratt at North Carolina. I think one interesting name, I hate to spend too much time talking receivers, but like George Pickens at Georgia, at number 40, when we first made the list, a lot of Georgia fans were like, where's George Pickens? And and here he is now, and I think there's a chance he finishes the college football season in like the top 20. Yeah, he is. he's one of those really high-ceiling guys. And this list, Charles and I talked about it last time we were on the podcast. It's a balance of kind of projection and what you've done so far. George Pickens late in the year, especially in the Sugar Bowl when he had that 12-catch, 175-yard performance against Baylor, showed the potential to be a superstar receiver. He just had some spectacular catches last year. I encourage people to go 
watched George Pickens' highlights from his freshman year. He just kind of really, really destroyed some people, especially on contested catches. Um, I would like to see a little more consistency. Part of that is due to the fact that Georgia's passing offense hasn't been particularly receiver-friendly in the last couple of years. But I, I do agree. I think George Pickens, maybe outside of Jamar Chase, um, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddell, has a chance to be the SEC's fourth-best receiver. And I realize that sounds like he's the fourth-best receiver in the SEC, but if you're the fourth-best receiver in the SEC, you are a really special guy that has the potential to be a first-round pick. And I think George Pickens has a chance to climb this list pretty rapidly if Jamie Newman really brings the passing element we expect to that uh, kind of bulldog offense. Yeah, I mean, the four best receivers in the SEC, it's like Jamar Chase, best receiver in the country, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. Those guys are number two and three, especially because the the players we lost off this list from the first iteration, Rondale Moore. Rashad Bateman. Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Yeah, we just we lost some really talented players. Um, it's, it's, it's been weird navigating a world without the big 10 or the pac 12. I know we've done a few pieces of content at 24 seven sports this week. You did uh, you put together our top 25, our updated top 25 on Monday. And that was again, like, you know, you, we don't include the big 10 teams or the pac 12 team. So Ohio state loses its number one spot, Clemson jumps there. And then the back half of the top 25 is now populated by honestly middling teams from the big 12 and the SC and, and the ACC and then the group of five. And, and then it's hard sort of to in the, in the SEC this year, you're either like, you're either definitely going to be ranked or you're going to be an absolute pinata, right? There's no like justification of like, let's get Ole Miss in the top 25. See that. So I, I just, it, I, I just think that's been interesting. See, that's the thing, though, and I want to point out like how much depth you lose when you lose the big time, the Pac-12 and college football. We had two voters, and I'm not going to I'm not going to say them by name. Um, if we have a chance later this week, we might go through our some of our superlatives from our top 25 votes. We had two voters put Ole Miss in their rankings. So that shows you how diluted the top 25 is at the bottom kind of when you start scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to project. I think Pittsburgh's an excellent team. They came in at number 24 in our rankings, but there's a good chance Pittsburgh, based on the schedule the ACC provided them, finishes below 500 this year. I'm not saying it's likely, and I, I know I said good chance, but like there's a r- real possibility that defense, which is elite, is not good enough to overcome Clemson, Notre Dame, and a lot of the teams they have to play. So that just kind of speaks to kind of the challenges of covering the season. And the contenders that we kind of expect are still going to be the contenders, even if they have to play uh, more uh, in conference competition and a team like Baylor at number 23 is another great example. Like, I don't know if Baylor's going to finish better than maybe what do they play a 10 game schedule? I don't know if they're going to finish better than six and four, but they're now a ranked team for us just because you kind of run out of people to rank. Absolutely. I went heavy group of five on my rankings. I, I went, the American conference. I was good to it. I got Cincinnati in there, SMU, UCF, Memphis. I even think I threw an Appalachian State uh, from. I had Appalachian. I had Appalachian State ranked too. I think. I think this year you're going to see a lot of those kind of teams that you'd expect to come in like 20 to 25 in the college football playoff rankings at the end of the year. I think we're really going to see some group of five teams push into the top 10, kind of the middle of the rankings. And if somebody runs the table this year, I would love to see the committee give a group of five team a chance, especially if it comes out of the American, because. Memphis is legit. UCF is certainly legit and Cincinnati is too. And I think any of those three teams are going to be 
competitive this season with anybody else, given the way this is going to kind of shake out. This is just going to be a really weird year. Just personally for you, how has the last week or two been with covering a college football landscape? Like we've tried to do a really good job at 24 seven of like making sure that we're still giving people who want to read about college football, the opportunity to do that. And we've, you know, we cover the, the ins and outs of COVID and, you know, you and Brandon Marcella do a good job of that, but we're still trying to have like fun content out. So we've, we've shifted a little bit in that regard. Um, but like I, are, Chris as a writer reporter, are you, is it just like, all right, I'm just going to forget about all of the Penn state knowledge I've had in my brain the last six months. And I'm going to now donate that time to studying Houston. It's, it's really weird. And like, I can't forget about any of those teams because we cover them all. I spent most of last week just texting with people on and off people and players from the big 10 and the PAC 12 that lost their seasons, kind of just seeing how they're feeling. And we're going to have to cover potentially a spring season here in a couple months. So they're not going away. And like, we might have to forget about Micah Parsons in the short term, but we're still going to be we cover draft content here too in April. So it's just kind of like you're juggling 800 things at once right now. And a lot of ways it's great. Like I, I really recognize that we're extremely lucky during the middle of this pandemic to have jobs and to be writing about college football. So I'm, I'm fine with that, but in a lot, it's just, there's just a lot to juggle and it's kind of hard to balance. Like, do you, how much of Oregon do you cover during the season when they're not playing and everybody else is, but Oregon's still a pretty relevant team and a big market for us. Like, how do we kind of make that balance? It's going to be interesting. I don't cover this day to day, like our recruiting guys do who are the best in the business, but like covering a team host, like that is recruiting during a season without a season versus covering a team that has a potentially official visitors on campus late in the year. If the NCAA allows that, it's just, it's going to be a really weird balance, but I think uh, we have the deepest stable of team reporters in the country at 24 seven sports. And we're going to, we're going to really cover the crap out of it. The last few weeks have really felt like groundhog's day where we're doing schedule releases multiple times a week because the conference has really staggered everything out. And then you've got, you've got like, we're, we're revamping the top 25 and and the, and the top 50. And, you know, we're going to try to figure out a way, I think to, to do bowl projections. And, you know, obviously there's, there's a new Heisman list. I have some friends asking me who aren't in the industry. They're like, well, you must have just had a quiet off season or like, <laughs> you must not have had much to cover. And I'm like, absolutely not. The day that the NCAA shut down March madness, like my head's just been, it's, it's just, you're just drinking water out of a fire hose. It's just, it's so much. And it's, if we don't have a season, like the, the, the thought of, I mean, even if we just have a spring season, like we're just going to be doing all of this content again. And, and, and it's going to be, it's ever changing, I guess, is the benefit to that. Like if you have to do the same content a few months from now, like our top 50 would look totally different in the springtime, right? You've already reported like these guys, these top, top tier draft eligible prospects aren't going to play in the spring. And Nick Saban said that today or the other day, he said like it would be the JV if we go to spring football. So no coaches really want to see that. And and then, you know, we've joked about doing a, a spring only top 25 and how that would look between the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the MAC. And maybe you throw some FCS teams in there, but then you're like, well, what does North Dakota State look like without Trey Lance? So, you know, if you wanted, like, I don't, I don't know if you, you're not going to rank FCS, but you know what I mean? It's just, it's, there's all these variables and 
and there's just never a lack of things to cover or to create or to do. And I think this updated top 50 is like evidence of that. Yeah, I would describe a normal college football offseason in a lot of ways. You know, like those workouts when you go for like a four or five mile run, but you stop five or six times just to either kind of catch your yeah. breather, check your phone. You kind of meander your way through the workout, but you get there. Eventually, you feel good about it. You got work done, but it wasn't maybe as hectic or as productive as it could have been. Um, that's a normal college football offseason. There's a little bit of downtime. There's time to safely take a vacation. There's time to work on projects that you might want to get done. Frankly, there might be time on maybe a Friday afternoon to go get a quick golf round in that I wouldn't ever have time to do during the season. This offseason season has been nothing like that. It's been, I feel like I've been running full out for six months and we're about to kind of hit another stretch where football could be going on for a six, another six months. And I'm, I'm not complaining about that at all. It's been great in a lot of ways, but it is, it is interesting. And as you said, I think if we did an updated top 50 in the spring and let's, let's assume worst case happens and we don't play football here in a couple of weeks. And I think right now the expectation is we do, I would, I would guess given that we only had maybe 10 underclassmen in our rankings in the first place, we would have at most 10 players of those 50 kind of carrying over to the spring. If it stayed like that, as you said, top prospects are not going to stick around. And if it's the spring season, the NFL draft doesn't move like, it's just going to look completely different. And all our like season preview things, those breakout players that fans love to read and everything else, it's going to change because the players change. And, and we're fortunate in that way because we always have something to cover from a national perspective, along with the actual news of the day, which unfortunately for four months has been nothing but COVID. So it's, it's really interesting times covering college football, but it's, there's, there's no shortage of things to do for sure. Well, cool. Uh, I've enjoyed this conversation. It's you know, not only we talked about like some new new rankings and lists and stuff that I think people would enjoy. It's just I, I hope that people have appreciated the the insight into like what what your day or what your life has been like as a college football reporter the last few months. And I think everyone in the end, most people in the industry would probably share a similar experience. And you you said the other day on a call we were on, like you've got. You'd love some time this week to work on some features for interviews on a few of college football's best players that you might have done a, a month or two ago. And you're like, I, I haven't had a chance to do it. Like, we got schedule releases a few times a week. We've got conferences announcing this, conferences announcing that, and it's just been, it's just been a, a ton of breaking news. Um, so, I don't know. That's a, uh, and even I mean, Chris, even on this podcast, like, <laughs> it's just, it's almost, it's almost hard to choose your topics every day. Because there, there's so much to possibly choose. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you, I think yesterday you started kind of like a bi-weekly kind of catch-all notebook of sorts to catch fans up on like the news they might have missed from training camp. And in our Slack messages, you mentioned that Luke Doty, who was a kind of top 75 passer for South Carolina this year, an Elite 11 finalist, had switched to receiver. And the entire national Slack room, Barton Simmons and a bunch of other guys were just kind of blown away. We had no idea. And on a normal day during the offseason, if that had happened to a passer of that caliber for South Carolina, which is so desperate for depth at wide receiver that they had to move their four-star passer as a freshman out wide, it would be huge news. And I just had no idea because there's so much going on right now and it just totally fell off my radar. And I just think that's a perfect example of how the offseason's gone in a lot of ways. Great point. Great point. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's discussion here on the College Football Daily. Go check out 
our top 50 list. Check out our updated top 25 from earlier in the week if you have not done that just yet. For Chris Hummer, for our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Trey Scott. We will talk to you all on Thursday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.